This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Welcome back to the WOMED. This week, we are digging into psych nursing. Y'all, I've been wanting to have a psych nurse on for ages. Caitlin Etter joins me this week. We talk about the stigmas facing mental health patients and psych nurses, but also issues facing community mental health. I'm so pumped about this episode. I never had a great experience in my psych clinical. I wish I would have had an instructor like Caitlin. Caitlin has worked across the board in peds, adolescent, adult, and geriatric psych. Caitlin also works as an assistant manager and psychiatric nurse educator, as well as a clinical nurse associate for Auburn University. All right, guys, let's dig in. This week's NDE is still your reminder to make a plan to vote and do not forget to research your Senate and local government candidates as well. Also, bringing congratulations to Alexi Stutzman. She writes in, Hi Dee, I wanted to share my nurse D energy moment with you. This week, I took my state exam to become a CNA so that I can work at the hospital while I'm in nursing school. And not only did I pass, but I passed with a perfect score. I accomplished my goal amidst the pandemic, going through a divorce, and being a mama to my two-year-old. I'm proud of myself. You should be so proud of yourself, Lexi. I wish you so much luck in your nursing career. All right, everybody, welcome back to the WOMED. This is a topic I've been wanting to get represented on the WOMED for a minute. And I've had a lot of y'all messaging me like, when are you going to have a psych nurse on? Which I love because it's so underrepresented and I just have like wanted to find the right person to like speak into it. So I bring y'all Caitlin Etter. She is a nurse down in Alabama, right? Yeah. Yeah. Alabama. Okay. Well, everybody welcome Caitlin. I'm so excited to dig into psych nursing. Yes, I am so excited to be here. I'm so excited to talk about kind of my world in nursing and what's led me to psychiatry. And it's been a great experience, a fun journey. And you're right, it is underrepresented. There's so many things that people don't know until you kind of immerse yourself in the field. So I'm so excited to get talking and to shed some light on some of the important things that are going on today. Oh, girl, me too. Okay, so you told me you've always had a passion for psychiatry and psych nursing, but how long have you been in the field? So I graduated at Auburn University in 2016. Mm -hmm. So I've been a nurse for four years, but I've worked in psychiatry for three years. Nice. I actually, I think it's kind of um, an interesting story how it started for me getting into psych. So I did not start there. When I was in nursing school, there were two clinical rotations that I absolutely loved, one being pediatric. And secondly, I most importantly loved psychiatry. Mm-hmm. I had two wonderful clinical instructors while I was do- like doing my clinical rotation in psych that were so passionate about psychiatric nursing. And their passion honestly made me think to myself, one day I want to love what I do that much. And it yeah. was so contag- it was so contagious. And um, I- it just made me so engaged in the rotation. When I started nursing school, it was actually always a dream of mine to work at Vanderbilt, you know, with it being top institution, top teaching hospital. I went to high school in Nashville. 
when uh, graduation was approaching, I applied to the nurse residency program and was accepted to um, a pediatric track there. And the reason I chose pediatrics over psychiatry was pretty much everybody in the medical field told me to work in a medical, I guess, floor before going to psych. So I listened. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I listened to that. I worked on PMAC at BND. I had an amazing time there. I learned so much. Um, They really set the standard on, you know, evidence-based practice, research. But despite thinking that I landed my dream job and I, you know, I thought it was going to be my dream job. A few months in, I really felt like I wasn't in my passion. Like I wasn't working in like what I was super passionate about. Mm -hmm. And I found myself um, really gravitating towards the, um, because we get psych patients on that floor at Children's. So I was really gravitating to those psych patients on the unit. Mm -hmm. And it totally reminded me of how much I loved my psych rotation when I was in nursing school. So I ended up taking a huge leap of faith and I ended up accepting a job at the hospital that I had my psychiatric clinicals at as a student. I packed up my apartment in Nashville and moved back to Auburn. Wow. Yeah. And there was a lot of nerves, you know, because this is a huge, like, I mean, of course I was still going to be a nurse, but it was a completely different field. People were like, mm-hmm. what are you doing? <laughs> you're, yeah. working at ch- you're working at children's and you're going to go work in psychiatry? Um, Honestly, you might get paid more in Alabama. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, um, you know, it was a huge change for me, but I totally felt at peace. Auburn is kind of where I became an adult. Of course, where I went to college, I feel at home Mm -hmm. here. Mm -hmm. So I kind of just said, you know, I was at peace with it. I was like, this is what I'm going to do. I mean, if I hate it, I can make a change, you know? So, yeah. So I ended up back back down to Auburn, but this time as a post-grad and working in a completely different field. Wow. So are you doing, I'm sorry if I missed it, is it peds psych or just all all ages? So I've at this point now worked across the lifespan. Um, I, okay. The job that I took down here, um, initially it had a, a pediatric unit, it had an adolescent unit and an adult unit. Okay. And um, at this point I've now, and I've worked in geriatrics so far as well. So I've really worked across the lifespan. That's this is so cool. I've, I've, my head's kind of, kind of spitting thinking. Cause like during my psych rotation, there was an adolescent unit and an adult unit, but definitely not peed. So like what kind of pediatric patients would you get that would fall under the psych nursing scope? It's actually, there's not many facilities that take inpatient pediatric mm-hmm. patients because they need to have, the psychiatrist needs to be um, certified and treating pediatric psych patients so there's what's the age range like two to 13 or something like that it's it's three to 12 typically okay three to 12 yeah I think my youngest patient that I ever had was five and and then once they hurt once they hit uh 13 they're considered adolescent okay okay just wanted to clear that one up (laughs) yeah yeah and uh, to answer your question on like what type of patient you know and and it kind of boggles people's minds like how can a patient so young have psychiatric problems but you know a lot of times it it could be like um, ADHD um, attention deficit disorders Um, it could be that they're just starting to have like behavior problems in the classroom or um, it might be or at home um, some oppositional defiant disorder that kind of stuff typically when they're that young and they just need to learn to work through anger 
sometimes it's trauma. Sometimes they've endured trauma at such a young age Mm -hmm. that's led to such problems such as attention deficit problems and behavior problems. So oftentimes it, it, it could have been a result of trauma at a young age. Oh, this is the things that you never want to think about. Oh, absolutely. I had, I had my psych clinical there. A, I don't feel like I got enough time. I, I feel like we, we literally had like two days of psych clinical for one in my nursing program. Wow. Um, but I, I had one adult patient and one adolescent patient. And I think she was like 13 and, and, and suicidal and just reading through and like her history and speaking with her. And it was like, oh my God, like this, the, the trauma that these, these young kids have to face. It's just so, oh, it was, it was, it was a difficult rotation for me for sure. Yeah. And I, I don't know if it was that like I didn't have enough time mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to really establish that sort of like connection with psych nursing, or is it is it really just like a certain breed of nurse that gravitates? I can probably say a lot on that. Of course, exposure time, and of course, every mm-hmm. you know nursing program is different, and a lot of times it could depend on you know the area that your school is in, mm-hmm. you know what resources they have to send students. So. You know, mental health facilities are scarce. So if there's only two or three facilities nearby your nursing school within, you know, an hour, hour and a half distance Mm -hmm. for driving time, you know, they might not be able to take students. Um, You know, some hospitals, you know, they're more locked down when it comes to psychiatry. Or if they do take students, they only have so many days that they can host your entire cohort, you know. Right. So the time gets limited you know, nursing schools do a great job and or they do their best to find the, the facilities that are willing to host students and take students in. And, you know, but unfortunately there is that, you know, the time there needs to be more exposure time. And, you know, I think for me, I always have found psychiatry and mental illness interesting since I was a kid. I always was mm-hmm. fascinated by it. So for me on my first, my rotation, I, I was nervous. I definitely was nervous. I had instructors that were so engaging, as I mentioned, mm-hmm. that loved the field so much. So I just automatically felt comfortable. But that's so good. It, yeah, I I am so thankful. And I'm still very close to both of them. So, you know, it, I think, you know, you're either called to it, or you're not just like, mm-hmm. you know, if you know, I didn't love pediatrics, I had a great experience, but it really wasn't my passion. And yeah, first, psychiatry, I think if you do have more time, Mm-hmm. You're able to see, and this is so, I think, very important, is the more time you have, you're not able to, like, if you're only having two days, you really don't get to see the role of the nurse. Yeah, that's what I felt like I was really missing. Yeah, so, you know, my students typically have six days with, you know, six days on a psych unit, which typically by the end of it, they've kind of seen it all, you know. Mm-hmm. But a lot of instructors are very focused on just wanting to spend that time with the students, just talking to the patients, which is great. I think that's very important in the beginning, but you can't spend the entire shift just talking to the patient because I know there's a lot of, there's way more that I do as a nurse. I mean, I spend as much time talking to my patients as I can, but there's so much on the inside as far as 
medications and working with the psychiatrists and case management and the therapists and everything. So students don't always get to see that. And if you're limited on time, you know, because I like to say, like, this is what I always like to do with my students. Day one, I always, well, first of all, I always email them prior to clinicals and I ask them to send me any questions or apprehensions that they might have going into this rotation. Because I know most of them probably have never been in this environment before. Right. So once I get their questions and we're at our pre-conference on day one, I'll address all their questions, try to, you know, help ease their nerves, ease, um, you know, make them feel more comfortable. And then day one is going to be where I'm kind of just getting them to acclimate in the environment with the patients, mm-hmm. you know, just getting them comfortable to just have a conversation. And I tell them, you know, talk to them just like they're a patient on surge, because yeah. a lot of times a patient on surge might have an underlying mental health problems. So, mm-hmm. you know, just talk to them just like you would anybody else. And I kind of spend day one, getting them acclimated with the patient population. And then going forward, that's when I'm going to pull them in more so to watch like a treatment team meeting or to sit in on a individual therapy session or, you know, give medications because we give meds. So I think the more time you have as a nursing student, you're going to be able to see more of the nursing process. Yeah. And I think once you experience that, you can see really how fulfilling it is as a, like, as a nursing job. Oh, I, I completely agree. And I think that's just one of the detriments to nursing schools and like the psych rotations in general is that we, we just don't have enough time, even, even six days, like, like your group has, that still just doesn't feel like enough time, but maybe I'm just totally forgetting how much time we actually had in our other rotations. You know all the things we'd love to do for ourselves, but just haven't done it for whatever reason? Well, if you've always wanted straighter teeth and a better smile, stop putting it off. Thanks to Candid, straightening your teeth is simpler, easier, and more comfortable than ever. Candid clear aligners are comfortable, removable, and practically invisible, unlike wire braces. So you can transform your smile without anyone noticing. Plus, your treatment is prescribed and monitored remotely by a licensed orthodontist who's an expert in tooth movement, and it's all done from the comfort and convenience of your own home. Candid only works with orthodontists, never general dentists like other companies. Plus, your supervising orthodontist will be with you every step of the way. With Candid, your treatment includes remote monitoring by the same orthodontist who created your plan, so you never have to wonder how you're doing. You'll always know, and I love that. The average candid treatment is just six months. You'll start seeing results way before then, and it costs thousands less than braces. Start straightening your teeth today. Right now, all of my listeners can save $75 on Candid Starter Kit. Go to candidco.com slash WOMED and use code WOMED. That's candid, the letter C, and o dot com slash womed code womed take advantage of this limited time offer to save seventy five dollars on your starter kit go to candidco.com slash womed and use code womed what's what's a typical caseload for or like patient ratio in in a psych unit so this okay I love this question when I worked at my previous facility, I'm not working there anymore. I 
worked as an assistant manager. And a lot of that was basically learning CMS guidelines and helping write policy and procedures for psychiatry. So I really got to know the state guidelines and what, you know, what we are supposed to have. So typically what they recommend is a one to seven patient ratio. So one nurse to seven patients. And that's my NICU brain cannot comprehend that. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. That seems totally crazy, but it's very doable. It really depends on the acuity of your patients. We're not okay. taking medications every hour. You know, we're not doing mm-hmm. two, four hour vital signs. We're not, do, I mean, we're doing like, you know, finger stick pattern, blood sugars, and, and we're giving medications three times a day, sometimes more. If you, if you have an event, you need to get something right. as needed, but you know, it, it's, it's, it's not it's like IV monitoring no. and stuff. Yeah. Okay. No, like we're not doing antibiotics every hour, time, all the pumps. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's way more doable. Um, if you sometimes, you know, if we have, and it depends on census, of course, like if we, if, if your census is lower, you might only have five patients. So, but it's like typically maxed out, you're not going to have more than seven patients and safely, that's what they recommend. And mm-hmm. if we have like higher acuity patients that are more behavior problems, they're having aggression, stuff like that, whatever nurse has that patient, typically they're probably going to take a lower, lower patient load. Right. Yeah. So that's typically what we strive for. I prefer to have like five, five or six to me is like a great shift because it's enough time to really spend time and and engage the patients as best as you can doing group therapy and stuff. But seven, I mean, you can do it. It, 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 you know, everybody, you know, can handle a different amount based on the acuity of the patient. Okay. So Yeah. So what's like a typical day in the life of a psych nurse? Like, are you, are you having to do baths? And I mean, you said like meds and everything, but walk me, walk me through a day. Okay. I love this because a lot of people, you know, when I meet people and they ask me what my profession is and they say I'm a nurse, they assume that typical medical lifestyle where you're, there's pumps and there's lines and there's you know mm-hmm. lifts and you're doing all these things and then I tell them I'm a psych nurse and then they're like huh like what does that even mean <laughs> like what do you even do they're, they're thinking like girl interrupted and- <laughs> yes, yes. yeah and, like one flew over the cuckoo's nest like this total you know and there's and fi- and that's when I finally get to enlighten people on what it's really like and what it's like today so typically I start my day I get there I get report and, you know, if it's uh, oftentimes I'll know the patients on the unit, they may have been there for a few weeks. They may have been there in the past. So sometimes okay. it's updates, sometimes it's a full report. And then I go on and I do my assessments. That's what I always do on everybody first. So typically I start my individual assessments, just having like a conversation with the patients because mm-hmm. you're going to go ahead and hit so many, you're going to answer so many questions, just having a conversation with them. You're going to figure out their orientation status you're going to see if they're having any sort of like delusional beliefs or if they're having any paranoid thinking, you're going to be able to pick up on those things. You're mm-hmm. going to be able to see what their affect is. Are they having a flat affect? Are they blunted? Are they labile seeming? So you're really just kind of talking to them. You're really going to be able to answer a lot of your questions for your assessment. And then I'm always going to assess their, um, su- like their, if they're suicide risk, if they're homicide risk, always assess pain, how they slept the night before, but you know, it's just more psychosocial focus. Okay. Not so like they have two plus pulses in their pee. <laughs> <Pulses> in their- 
<laughs> no, not unless, um, like right now and, you know, geriatric, which I'm currently working on a geriatric psych unit. It's a little bit different because we do have total care patients and that's where it's going to come gotcha. in where we are having to do ADLs because they mm-hmm. might, it's a lot of patients with dementia. Mm-hmm. So sometimes they're kind of progressing towards nonverbal. It depends on how sick they are and they need, you know, you need to help them with their ADLs or they can't walk or if they're post-stroke, stuff like that. So gotcha. that on a Jerry psych, you're going to be doing more of the, the, you know, head to toe assessment throughout mm-hmm. your shift because, you know, they might have more severe health conditions as well. And then, so once I assess my patients, I'm going to look at their EMR, start pulling their medications throughout the day. They, a lot of patients just have 8 a.m. meds and 9 p.m. meds. Sometimes they have 8, 12, 3, 4, 5, you know, like 4, 6, yeah. you know, it just depends. So I'll pull, look at my EMR, see what everybody's med schedule looks like and get them ready and pull them, give them. And then we do a lot of therapy. Of course, we do a lot of group therapy where it's Mm -hmm. the therapist that leads group therapy and um, they typically do individual groups or individual sessions as well. And then we do occupational therapy and then physical therapy if they need um, a physical therapy consult. Um, So that is going on all day throughout the day. But Mm -hmm. my favorite, well, one of my favorite things is when they're not doing therapy with their counselor or OT or PT, a lot of times me or like the nurses that day and the mental health technicians, we coordinate um, like fun groups with the patients because oh. there's, yeah, they're like so busy spending the entire day seeing the doctor talking about medication. They're in their head if they're, you know, if they have a psychotic disorder or they might just be really depressed and they just want to lay in bed and they've been in therapy talking through, you know, what they're struggling with. So we really like to do like fun activities with them. Mm-hmm. So, um, sometimes we do like focus groups. So if I have a lot of patients that are struggling with depression, I'll do groups that are like focused on stuff with depression. Or if I have patients with psychotic disorders, I'm going to do groups, maybe more so trying to engage them in like the importance of hygiene or how to help them prepare for going to a doctor's appointment. Gotcha. We usually follow up. Like if it's a day that we're talking about hygiene, for example, we'll do nails or we'll do hair because we have, you know, we have things on the unit like that and um, we'll do karaoke day and patients love that. They have so much fun with that. Oh my God, that sounds so fun. (laughs) It is. Sometimes (laughs) the staff will get up and it's fun because when you see the patients when they're there in the beginning, they're very nervous and apprehensive, but towards the end of their stay, they're up there, they're dancing, they're singing, you know, it's just a good time. And then every day and every facility has different, you know, policies, but most facilities do a treatment team meeting every shift. So this is my favorite. And my students typically love treatment team when they get to sit in on it. And this (laughs) is when you've got the psychiatrist, the nurse, the case manager, and the therapist. And it's typically led or everywhere I've worked led by the nurse because we're the eyes and the ears. We're out there all day, every day. We're not in an office. You know, we're sitting with the patients all day. Mm-hmm. We're giving PRN meds if we need to. And if they're having behaviors, high anxiety, stuff like that, we're the ones out there. So we typically lead treatment and we talk about how the patients are doing on the unit. And then the psychiatrists, they always want our input. They, I've worked with wonderful psychiatrists through the years and they really value our input as nurses. And they'll talk about what their medication plan is. They might be starting them on a PO medication and then with the plan to transition them to a long-acting monthly injectable. Or they'll, you know, basically shed light on what their plan is going forward. 
for medications, they'll tell you if they're going to increase them, decrease them. Are they having any sort of like extrapyramidal symptoms? Are we going to add some cogentin to kind of help with that? You know, so they'll shed what their plan is. And then the case manager, um, they typically will talk about discharge planning and, you know, we'll talk about if the patient does, if they have somewhere to go when they leave here, sometimes they don't. If they don't, where are they going to go? Um, do they need a higher level of inpatient care or do are they able to live in a more like less restrictive residential type setting? Um, mm-hmm. So they'll shed what their dis, uh, like discharge plan might look like, what their options are in the community and, you know, talk about if they're progressing towards the discharge goals. And then the therapist will talk about how they are in therapy, um, how are they meeting their treatment goals, if they're engaged, if they're still kind of holding back. And basically we just have a whole group meeting about each patient and then the patient comes in and that is the time for the patient, you know, to go ahead and talk with the physician, us, um, tell them their concerns that they don't like their meds they're too tired. Um, what they want their discharge plan to look like. And we kind of just all talk as a group. And I love that. That's amazing. Yeah. That that's so collaborative. It's so collaborative. And I never really understood the importance of the interdisciplinary healthcare team mm-hmm. until I worked in psychiatry um, because it's imperative. And I feel like yeah. when I worked on a medical floor, I kind of, you know, I, I went in, I worked my 12 hours. I never really got a chance to really talk too much to the, like the case manager um, right. or anything. Whereas most psych units, that is the main thing is they have this treatment team meeting and, you know, we really, really work together collaboratively. And it's so important to have that interdisciplinary teamwork um, because it makes a huge difference in um, the success for the patient when they do discharge. So typically, and then, you know, of course, charting, you know, I'm charting everything. Mm -hmm. And then by the time all that stuff is done, um, sometimes there's visitation Um, right now with COVID that's been, um, we're slowly starting to let visitors back in, Um, but sometimes we yeah, sometimes because um, visitation on the psych unit is typically like an it, it varies, but it's usually a max an hour window, um, okay. and it's typically limited as to who can come visit the patient. It's the patient's choice, and they might not want to see certain people, um, mm-hmm. so it's it's up to them. Um, but it's always good as a nurse to be on standby for visitation because sometimes it goes great, and sometimes certain patients get really emotional, and you really need to be there. So that's another gotcha. part of the day. So. That's, I would say, you know, and then I wrap it up, do all of my charting, you know, <laughs> you didn't chart it, you didn't do it. So, right. <laughs> um, um, you know, that still sticks with me. So, you know, that's typically when that's all said and done, I'm hitting my 12 hour mark. Wow. That's, yeah. it's such a different world. Mm-hmm. It's, it's such a different aspect of, of nursing in general. That's so fascinating. Hello, Numers. How y'all feeling? Today might be different than yesterday, but today might also feel better than tomorrow. Everybody is just so different, even on different days. But Noom never judges you. It adjusts to your lifestyle to help you reach your health goals. And health goals don't have to be associated with the number on a scale. Noom's focus is on building healthier habits and feeling better about yourself. They dig into the psychology behind why we make the decisions we do. The Noom app is so helpful. It does everything from track your steps and workouts to delivering easy to read and consume articles on things that affect our bodies like energy, stress hormones, and lifestyle. 
They even have recipes in one of the easiest food logging systems I've ever worked with. My favorite part is no food is good or bad or off limits. They break foods into colors and it just helps you moderate how much you eat from each category. Now I love cookie dough. I love sweets. I save my sweet treat for the night and I moderate it. Noom has helped me feel healthier and happier in my body and all they ask is 10 minutes a day. You even have a goal specialist. Shout out to my girl Dana who helps me stay on track. You don't have to change it all in one day. Small steps make for really big progress. Sign up for your trial today at noom.com slash WOMED. What do you have to lose? Visit noom.com slash WOMED. That's N-O-O-M dot com slash WOMED. There's such a stigma around mental health and psych in general, but you know, what's, how, how do we get more nurses into psych nursing? Oh, I, I feel like I can have so many answers to this too. And, you know, cause I love it so much and I just want everybody to love it. But for mm-hmm. me, I can say, um, I know it's something that I was definitely called to do born to do cause I love it so much, but mm-hmm. I had, you know, again, shedding light on amazing instructors. I think that makes such a huge difference because oftentimes I'll, I'll talk to other nurses and, or, or people that I know that are going through nursing school or my students that will basically say, you know, they had their psych rotation instructor wasn't even like a psych nurse by that wasn't their expertise. Like it yeah. may have been a nurse that worked in it at one point in their career, but they were primarily a med surge nurse mm-hmm. and not, not saying that there's anything wrong with that, but I do think that it makes a huge difference when you do have instructors out there that are so passionate about it because they, it, it is contagious. You yeah. know, I, I, when I talk about this, I, I glow and I can hear you I, glowing <laughs> like, and you know, your students see that. Mm-hmm. And I think that makes a difference. You know, if someone told me that I needed to go teach men's surge, I just wouldn't be super excited. I would just want to talk about psychiatry. <laughs> so, right. I, yeah. Like, I think, you know, I think that it makes a huge difference when you do have instructors that are kind of passing the baton, you know, if, you know, that really love what they do, if they're the ones mm-hmm. that are teaching it, you know, I think it makes a huge difference. And for me, if I can get in one semester, if I can get two nursing students to say that they're going to work in psychiatry, I have hit a home run. <laughs> I have hit, because typically, you know, I'll ask all my students at the beginning of, you know, the of clinicals, like, what are you interested in? No one ever says psych. No, <laughs> no they one ever does. I mean, I I was totally honest with you and when we were talking about questions and stuff for this and uh, psych nursing is always something that's that scared me and mm-hmm. and I didn't have enough exposure to it to kind of alleviate that fear. I just felt like I was in so over my head. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I think your your experience is very very common. But I think, you know, there's a there is that fear. And again, that kind of goes to what you mentioned, that stigma. Mm-hmm. And I think that if we can, and and again, I always stress this to anyone, anyone that's interested in the field or, you know, that's not, I say, you know, let's just like talk about it. Let's like, right. let's have a conversation because, you know, if I can, you know, tell you what it's like to be a psych nurse, mm-hmm. you might have a completely different idea. And I used to do a lot of precepting on my old unit where I would precept, you know, new nurses to the unit and we would um, orient a lot of float pool nurses. And 
this was actually really interesting because when they came down, they were so, so shocked at how much they really enjoyed it and how more comfortable they were. Like they went into it anxious, like, am I going to get punched? Am I going to get hit? Is someone going to hurt me? (laughs) That's like what everybody thinks. Like, uh, you know, like people assume I'm going to work and I'm like (laughs) getting beat up. Yeah. And, And that's so not the case. I mean, I think that if we start a conversation, you know, I talk to everybody who's willing to listen about what I do. And I think people are typically very surprised when they mm-hmm. hear me say, I think, I don't think I've, I've ever been hit once in the three years that I've worked on psych. And, you know, really? a lot of times, yeah, no, I've never, I've never really gotten hurt ever. If anything, maybe like a dementia patient, like when you're trying to change them, they don't want to get changed. They kind of like flop at you, but like, you know, not really, you know, adults, like people assume it's going to be, you know, I've, I've had a lot of aggressive patients, but I think. Mm-hmm institutions are doing a really good job at teaching what I've been most uh, familiar with because I'm, I'm a certified instructor for it is uh, CPI. What's CPI? It is crisis prevention intervention. And okay. I like to compare it to, you know, how you go to CPR to teach like a, or to learn how to like react in a code blue. Mm-hmm. CPI teaches you to how to react in like an aggressive code. You know how you hear them overhead at the yeah. hospital, like code gray or code yellow. Mm-hmm. Um, it's CPI is, is basically teaching healthcare workers how to respond in the event that you have an aggressive patient. It's required in most facilities, on site facilities, of course, and a lot of ERs. It's a great, great course. Um, I became a certified instructor for it and have taught at one of the hospitals here about, I guess it was about two years ago, I started doing it. And the main thing about it that I really love is the de-escalation tips. In the beginning, Mm -hmm. they teach so much about therapeutic communication and how Mm -hmm. our behavior influences our patient's behavior. If I am nice and welcoming and caring and compassionate towards my patients, they're going to be the same way, you know, with Mm -hmm. as much as they can. If I come in and I'm stern and I'm rude and I'm, you know, not very nice, they're going to push back and their behavior is going to be exactly how my behavior is. So if we really, yeah, like that behavior influences behavior is imperative, especially with working with psychiatric patients. If you, or any patients really, I think it should be taught all over. Um, Yeah. yeah, they really focus on therapeutic communication, um, things to say, what, you know, what you shouldn't say, um, just, just, you know, just different tips. And then they go into um, safe ways to like hold patients if you need to, if they become aggressive and mm-hmm. and stuff like that. It's a great course. And I think that if hospitals are doing a great job and really starting to require these courses, I've heard like certain, another course is mental health first aid. I've heard is really good. There's different ones oh, out there. Okay. Yeah. Um, there's different ones out there. EMS, a lot of EMS and paramedics, they have to become trained in it because they're in the field. Yeah. And another thing too, we have this fear, you know, that it's, there's, it's going to be this aggressive day or patients are all going to be rowdy and, and fighting. And one thing too, and this is what it wasn't until I started teaching my students that it really came full circle was, and I'm sure you remember this. I think every nurse remembers this when you're in nursing school, they go through the nursing process for every disease. And it's the acute phase, the stabilization phase, and the maintenance phase, you know, Mm -hmm. they go through that with every disease. 
And I, it wasn't until I started working in psych that it came full circle for me because when a patient comes in, they're acute, you know, they're, they're having behaviors. They might be a risk to themselves or others. That's when they're going to be, you know, the most sick. But once they're on the unit for a few days, you're reaching that stabilization phase. They're on medications. They're going through therapy. So, you know, they're not always that way. Like we stabilize them out and then we get them ready for discharge. And then that's when we focus on the maintenance phase. Mm-hmm. So when you think about the nursing process, like, you know, I might have one patient that is really, really sick and off their medications, but my other six might have been on the unit for five or six days and they're ready for discharge. Wow. What is the typical stay? Like... So it varies. And again, you know, if it's a patient that they're voluntarily, um, mm-hmm. you know, they if they decide that they want to leave and, and the doctor agrees that they're ready to leave and um, they can, you know, discharge home or wherever they're going to be discharged to. Um, mm-hmm. So typically, if you're there voluntarily, it's going to, you know, it's going to be kind of more driven by the patient. If it's a patient that they're involuntarily, um, minimum seven days, typically, I see in Alabama, mm-hmm. I don't know what other states you know, regulations are at this time, but typically seven days, if they're not better at seven days, you know, it could be, if they have a continuance on their, on their court order, um, it could be longer. It really just depends. You know, everybody, um, some patients get better, like within a few days, sometimes it's a month. You really just don't know. Um, it varies. Um, it really just, it depends also to how long if a patient has been off their medications, it's all about just like getting them back on their meds and then seeing like like a small increase in, in a medication can make the biggest difference. So it's, it's all based on their brain, their neurotransmitters, um, getting, getting everything like, you know, how it needs to be. And then sometimes it is a placement issue. Sometimes if they Mm -hmm. don't have somewhere to go, finding them a safe, you know, placement. Right. Right. I feel like that kind of leads into my next question of community mental health and like what kind of like outreach and resources are available to the community because mental health is just something that is so stigmatized yet, but it's it's at the root cause of a lot of issues surrounding, you know, homelessness or, you know, someone might have a psychotic break and, and need that assistance, but mm-hmm. end up in a very dangerous situation otherwise, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so as far as stigma, um, there, this is a huge thing. I mean, this is one of our biggest, um, you know, one of our biggest challenges that we have. And I think too, and there's a stigma based on every diagnosis. You know, when you talk about depression, people have, have this assumption that, you know, you're crying, you're in bed and you're miserable all the time. And you know, it manifests yeah. differently in everybody, everybody's right. depression or anxiety manifests differently with psychotic disorders. People have this assumption that they're aggressive and they're all violent. Like, they're, they're all violent. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I've read many studies and I don't know the actual t- statistic, but based on my research and experience, just because you're suffering from a psychotic disorder, it does not mean that you're going to become aggressive and homicidal. Mm -hmm. I, you know, it can potentially happen, of course, but that doesn't necessarily mean that because you have a psychotic disorder, you're going to become this way. Um, You know, I've seen some of the most gentle psychotic patients that, you know, they're not harmful and they're happy living the way that they're living. 
And then also too, um, which we haven't mentioned at all is addiction because that's a huge, yes. you know, there's a huge overlap there. Certain mm-hmm. drugs can cause psychotic features. Um, certain people use substances to cope with depression and anxiety or mental illness, any kind of mental illness. But mm-hmm. people need to realize that it's, addiction isn't a choice and it is very much so a disease. Yeah. But I think that, you know, if we continue to start conversations and talk about our personal struggles, um, different things that we've experienced, it's going to normalize mental illness. And once mm-hmm. we do that, the stigma is going to decrease. So one, um, I don't know, have you ever heard of, um, she's like a mental health guru. I absolutely love her. Is Bren Brown. Oh yeah. She's, in, yeah. she's incredible. Yeah. Right. She is. I love her. She is uh, like goals for real <laughs> but yeah. she has a she has a quote and it says she says it's crazy how much energy we spend trying to avoid these hard topics when sometimes they're the only topics that can set us free mm-hmm. and it's so true like sometimes we just need to talk about these things because they are going to be the things that are going to help our future generations they're going to help us they're going to help our you know our, our families you know we need to talk we need to talk about these things or else they're going to just continue to be stigmatized but as far as community mental health, this is huge and it can be fairly controversial, mainly because mental health treatment has changed so much through the years politically. Funding has transitioned to outpatient community mental health centers versus funding being put towards inpatient mental health state hospitals. And in the res- like as a result, a lot of state facilities have been shut down as for inpatient care. Mm-hmm. In- theory it's great to think about outpatient community mental health centers like that's a great idea because no one wants to be in the hospital but oftentimes what you see due to outpatient non-compliance with this patient population you're seeing a rise in acute inpatient psych admissions so in like the non-state facilities because a lot of state facilities have been shut down due to lack of funding they've been moving the funding to those outpatient facilities Mm -hmm health centers so you're seeing a rise in like the smaller hospitals that have a psych unit you're seeing more admissions Mm -hmm. on that side of things so the uh patients with mental health can easily become like treatment non-compliant and for what i see most commonly are two reasons one mainly being medication side effects um everybody in nursing school learned about extrapyramidal symptoms Right. Um, from, you know, the first generation antipsychotics, tardive dyskinesia, dysonic reactions, those are real. So mm-hmm. our patients are, ha- you know, if they're on a first generation antipsychotic, they have side effects and they don't feel good. Thankfully, research, you know, is, is, is happening and new medications have come out and you've got second generation antipsychotics that don't have so much the, they don't have EPS so much, but they have more so metabolic side effects. So we're looking at weight gain, diabetes, stuff like that. You know, there's still side effects that are happening, but because of that, patients don't want to take these medications. Another thing is um, in men is erectile dysfunction. A lot of times antipsychotic, you can't, you know, have the ability to always have sex. So Mm -hmm. a lot of, a lot of people don't want to take the medication. So they become non-compliant and then they end up having acute exacerbation of their disorder. The other um, thing that I see a lot as far as non-compliance with this population is one of the side effects to most psychotic disorders, a lot of them, is the patients have a lack of insight to their illness. Okay, It's kind of like they don't think anything's wrong with them. They think they're perfectly healthy. And I mm-hmm. compare it to, say, 
someone just came to me and they told me I needed to start taking insulin. Right. I would say, well, no, I don't because I don't have diabetes and I know I don't have diabetes. Mm-hmm. Their d- delusions are so real to them that they have nothing wrong with them. So me being so matter of fact, knowing for like knowing I don't have diabetes, they feel just as strongly in their delusions that they're perfectly fine. So they feel like yeah. they don't need to take medication. So they're like, I'm not taking that. There's nothing wrong with me. So mm-hmm. the idea of the outpatient community mental health centers is a wonderful idea, but it's a patient population that has a high risk of becoming non-compliant. And because of that, I think that there is a need for more of those inpatient state facilities because mm-hmm. you're just seeing such a high increase of acute um, psychiatric admissions from like like the smaller hospitals and whatnot. But I never entirely understood how much mental illness is a community concern until I really immersed myself into case management mm-hmm. and worked with my treatment team to really understand like discharge planning. And, you know, some patients don't have anywhere to go. Right. And if we discharge them, are they just going to stop taking their meds? Or if they don't have an adequate caregiver, are they going to end up right back in the hospital? Like I never really right. understood that until I really got involved working with case management. So I don't know what the answer is. I think that what I can say is just to encourage everybody to not only obviously get to know the presidential candidates, but the Senate and local government officials and vote accordingly, because if not, because this is a very big community issue and people Mm -hmm. don't realize it until you really are either affected by it or until you work in it. Again, that stigma, people don't want to talk about it. So it gets pushed aside. and and just becomes underfunded in so many ways. And if this is something that you don't feel comfortable discussing, that's totally fine. But I, I just keep thinking about his name was Daniel Prude, correct? He was, he was killed by police. He was in like a state of like mental health crisis in Mm -hmm. Buffalo, New York. And a, it, it, it's, it's so heartbreaking to me that there is not more of a psychological assistance or mental health assistance when being called to 911 calls like this or Mm -hmm. or like a, a psych nurse or therapist isn't you know part of the police force you know I just think there's there's just so much more work that needs to be done on that yeah. front to to really or maybe it's more de-escalation training or yeah something I agree. but it just it just hurts that like these patients from this like specific population are are at a greater risk of losing their lives in these confrontations mm-hmm. yeah yeah absolutely and I just got chills because I can't tell you there's been so many instances where I've had patients come in and, you know, they always come in through the ER first Mm -hmm. um, and they're beat up and they're, you know, tussled with and tasered and, Mm -hmm. and this, you know, just beaten to get them into the ambulance to get them or into the cop car handcuffed because they may have been acting irate in the community. And I've seen it, I've seen it firsthand and it, it happens. 
And I think that they're, you know, I'm not an expert, but I think that based on what you said, there needs to be more, more like almost healthcare professionals in the field. I know there's EMS, of course, but they need to learn CPI. They need to learn de-escalation, therapeutic communication. And sometimes, Mm -hmm. you know, if they're that aggressive, I think if we learn like how to safely hold patients, I mean, we taught, we learn that in CPI, how to safely physically hold patients Mm -hmm. in case we have to do it in the hospital, trying to, you know, if we had to do restraint through seclusion and we learn how to do that in the hospital. And as the nurse, when I have my security in the hospital that's trained in doing those things, I'm the nurse there assessing to make sure airway breathing circulation is all, we're good. You know what I mean? Like we're not, we're not, you know, if if they're fighting, if it's a patient that's fighting and they do have to do a CPI hold, Mm -hmm. I'm the nurse there ensuring that the patient is not being hurt. Right. And it's challenging, you know, with how aggressive sometimes people can get. But when I hear stories like that, I mean, it gives me chills because my, as you know, I've of course mentioned, I've worked through the lifespan in psychiatry. My passion is adult acute psychiatry, specifically psychotic disorders. That mm-hmm. is my passion. And I work in the black belt and I work in a predominantly African-American community. And I see, I, I mean, I see that happening all the time and it gives yeah. me chills because I love my patients. I absolutely love them. They give me you know, inspiration to keep doing what I'm doing. Like when I see them come in so sick and get better, you know, when I see the dopamine changing and their brains just getting better and we're stabilizing them, like they give me inspiration. So when I think about any potential for someone like that in the community to get hurt, I think, you know, of course that can't do anything, but just break my heart because this is the population that I've pretty much dedicated my life to. Mm -hmm. So there needs to be obviously a reform. I think, you know, law enforcement needs to be, you know, more educated in, in taking care of mental health patients, 110%. Mm-hmm. Um, because you don't, you don't know what you're, you don't know what you're going to get. I mean, I've met amazing police officers that sometimes we've had a call over to the police department to come over to help us with some patients. And some of them are the most amazing with them. We'll talk them down. So I, I've seen both sides of things. Right, so right. It's just, we need the ones that are so good at law, like in law enforcement, the ones that are so good dealing with this population, mm-hmm. they need to train the younger ones that aren't so comfortable. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it, it's usually the older ones, the more seasoned ones, they've been in law enforcement for a while that I've seen. And they're just, they're so good. They're sometimes better than talking with patients than I am. So, yeah. you know, they need, you know, they need to train the young ones. They need to get them up to par. Um, there is an injustice, of course, that's happening and there needs to be reform. But yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I can't, it just breaks my heart, like thinking about anything like that because of how much I love this patient population. I just wonder if there needs to be like a new, like mental health task force created, you know, yeah. that like works, that is a part of the emergency response team. In situations. I would like to see that happen. I would too. And I think it needs to, it needs to be people who are passionate about the field. And that's the other thing. Like, I don't, I can't speak for everybody, but I don't know how many police officers that go into law enforcement saying, I want to work in mental health. Most of them don't, because if they did, they would be worth, they'd be working in mental health. So, you know, we need to have like that compassion. Like we Mm -hmm. need to have people out there that are willing to work 
with people who are suffering with those illnesses because when the passion is there, you really care for that population. It's gonna it makes a huge difference, you know. Because right. and it's the same thing on the hospital setting. I mean, I've seen nurses that well, like that might not love psychiatry and they're just so unengaged with the patients and. Mm-hmm. I don't like that. And, you know, for me, I love my patients, so I'm engaged with them and it makes a difference. So it's the same thing with officers. Like if you've got officers that have a passion for helping truly, truly mentally ill people, you know, they're going to do it. They're going to do it. Right. Because, and especially too, if they're educated on it, I, again, I don't think everybody is educated well enough on what these folks are really going through. They assume they're just choosing to be this way. They're not choosing to be physically aggressive they might be having severe delusional beliefs or severe paranoia that's Mm -hmm. causing them to act a certain way and they're not choosing to act that way it's their illness so if the if the education is there not only for of course healthcare workers but law enforcement I think that would make a huge difference so going off what you said like a mental health like task force as far as law enforcement goes I think that if we have them educated that this is a true illness and not a choice I think that they'll approach those those people differently in the community. Well, here's hoping that something like that can be created. Yeah. Give me your elevator pitch to psych nurses. Okay. So, and I hope so much of what I said already kind of explains, you know, how awesome this field is and this kind of nursing is, but what I like to say to all my nursing students and, you know, is you can't have physical health without mental health. Yes. <laughs> you cannot have physical health without mental health. So you decide to be a nurse and you're, you know, you might be interested in one field or the other. You are going to be faced with mental illness on every floor. So if you're interested in healing, which most of us are becoming nurses, the brain is just as, is probably, if not more important than, you know, it's, it's a collaborative effort. If you love working on renal, if you love working in pulmonology, the brain is the same thing. You know, you can't have physical health without mental health. So if you're not able to mentally take care of yourself, you're not going to be able to physically take care of yourself. So I think that, you know, psychiatric nursing is a place for huge growth, um, not only on units, I think that there is a huge thing that you can do community-wise. You can make a huge impact in your community um, and politically when it comes to mental health. And you can grow. You can become a nurse practitioner in psychiatry. If you're if you're not in nursing and you want, you know, therapy, all that stuff, you know, you really get to work collaboratively with so many different professionals in mental health. And it's really inspiring and educational. And every single day you learn something new because research is out there new medications are on the market. You know, I see different kinds of therapies being done for depression. And, you know, just again, these long acting monthly injectables that come out that have less side effects for patients. And, you know, that's so wild. That's amazing. I know. And people don't get it. And I say to them, it's just like Depo Provera, like for birth control, like they take a monthly injection. It, Mm -hmm. you don't take a pill every day and it helps with compliance. So, yeah. you know, things, things are changing, you know, things are growing research is out there. It's, you know, it's, it's ever changing. So I always like to tell anybody, you know, don't rule it out. You know, you might not start there, but who knows one day you might end up there. And it's, it's a field that is rewarding and so fulfilling. And I'm so thankful for the people in my journey that have helped get me to where I am 
and that have really helped educate me to become knowledgeable in this field and all the things that you can do in it. Kaylin, you're amazing. And I can only imagine what it's like, what your, your students in like clinical and stuff think. Like they're so lucky to have you and Aww. lucky to have someone that is this passionate about psych nursing. Thank you. Thank you so much for all of your hard work and for taking the time to speak with me today. I think people are really going to enjoy this perspective. Like I, I've really been wanting to highlight psych nursing on the podcast for a while now. Yeah. So you, you have an open invitation. You are welcome anytime. If there's some new developments or, or anything else that you want to discuss on, on the WOMED about what it means to be like a psych nurse, I, the space is yours. Oh, awesome. Thank you so much. And it's been, it's been an honor, honestly, talking to you. I've been following this podcast and you know, it's, it's, a, it, it's, it's been, it's been great talking. There's so many, I could talk about it forever. I love it. And <laughs> if anybody ever has any questions, you know, I like, I'm happy to answer them as, as best as I can. And if I can't answer them to lead you to someone who can. Where can people find you if they want to DM you or ask you any questions? Yeah, so I'm on Instagram and my Instagram name is Psych Nurse Caitlin. So just basically Psych Nurse Caitlin. So P-S-Y-C-H Nurse and then it's Caitlin, K-A-I-T-L-I-N. And you can find me on Instagram there. And that's the best way to reach me is uh, like I always look at my DMs and everything and I'd be happy to answer questions. Anyone interested in the field, anyone interested in making a career change, um, I love precepting people to the floor and, and into this field. And I'd be happy to talk to anybody and to just start a conversation. Amazing. Caitlin, thank you so much again. Thank you. Another huge thank you to Caitlin for her passion for psych nursing. This was such an insightful episode and conversation. So if you have any other questions about psych nursing, reach out to Caitlin on Instagram at Psych Nurse Caitlin, all spelled out. You can follow along with me at the WOMED or personally at DM Maltby. And if you aren't already, subscribe, like, rate, review. It's so appreciated. Have a great rest of the week and don't forget to vote, y'all. On that note, WOMED out. Oh,